we've been talking about always being thankful um, all month. And so far, everybody's been really encouraging and positive. Pastors uh, Hope and Jared last week did an incredible job talking about how they've been thankful uh, through some very challenging times and a very difficult year. And uh, you know, they gave us a little clicker to count our, our thankfulness. And I'm sure Jared called it correctly. They said, I'm sure you'll lose it before you get home. But, uh, um, but you know, so they did that. They were very encouraging. We've had a lot of encouragement. So I'm not really doing that today. I'm going a little more less encouraging. We'll just say that. <clears throat> but I do think, and it should end very positively. And for me, this is a very difficult topic. I think if you look at Americans or maybe just wealthier, wealthy Westerners, um, you know, we just, we just struggle uh, being thankful. We just have this expectation that everything is instant, that everything is at our fingertips, that everything is, even for me, the great Generation X, who, who mock millennials and Gen Zers for being so entitled. I'm, I'm only slightly less entitled. Still, I just expect things in, instantly, and I have this um, expectations. Um, there's something Pastor Peter does. I don't know if you know this. He'll tell you something really hard when he's, when he's preaching. He'll tell something really hard, really challenging, uh, maybe call out a behavior that, uh, that he sees in, in people. Um, and then he says, I'm not trying to criticize. Because he's not. Because he probably knows that you know, we're all guilty of, of different things. But he says, I'm not trying to criticize. Well, the difference in me and him is I am trying to criticize uh, <laughs> today. Because I think when it comes to always being thankful, we suck. And I know that you're not supposed to say that in church, so we suck eth. Um, I landed way better this service. Um, okay. So, <laughs> um, so, oh, sure, yeah, we've had these incredible sermons, and we've been encouraged to, to be thankful, and, we've, and we have been pushed, and I, hopefully we have been more thankful. But the truth is, if we're honest, you were probably thankful until you had slow service at lunch or until the middle of your taco was cold. You know, or your cell service got a little spotty for that next all-important Instagram feed or thread or whatever it was. Or you got behind some Sunday driver, and you're like, where is this person going? What are they doing? <laughs> Can we please go? Or maybe you, maybe you did muster up the inner fortitude to stay thankful till you got home, and then your favorite team lost. Thankfulness out the window. Um, so Pastor Azen a few weeks ago preached out of Second Thess or First Thessalonians five sixteen and eighteen. So prob most people probably know the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, right? John eleven thirty five. Well, if you ever get in a trivia contest and somebody wants to know the second shortest verse in the Bible, it's First Thessalonians five sixteen. Rejoice always. So rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks. It's beautiful, but it's also impossible. You ever notice that the Bible is full of these impossible expectations that it places upon us that we have to, you know, there's, there's other things. You know, it says be perfect. That's an expectation of scripture. Be holy as I am holy, God said. Might as well throw in rejoice always and always be thankful because they are impossible um, for us to do. <clears throat> so I have... Today, what I think is a very difficult topic to, to, to express. It is a personal theology of mine that I've, I've kind of coined some of the phrases. It's certainly not original, but, but it, is, uh, it is very much part of my journey of faith, and it's very difficult to share and to convey properly. 
But if I do convey it and share it properly at the end of this hour, you should have something that you can always be thankful for and you should know joy and know peace that so many Christians talk about. And if I don't do it poorly, if I don't do it well, if I don't express these ideas correctly, you'll feel terrible. So I think we should pray. Father, I thank you for today, Lord, and I thank you for your incredible goodness, Lord. We thank you for this great country that we live in, that we can freely gather, and that we can freely do our best to worship you. So, Lord, I pray that right now you would pour upon us the grace uh, that can only come from you, Lord, that, uh, that the words would be shared correctly and heard correctly, uh, and that we would know you a little bit more by the end of this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, this always being thankful thing, in order to always be thankful, oops, too fast, Um, In order to always be thankful, you must have something that surpasses all human disappointment. You must be able to see something through all human suffering. You must know something that others don't know, and you must have experienced something that supersedes all other human experiences. Picture a scale. So you have on one side of this scale all the human experience. The human experience, there's good stuff in there, sure. Yeah, we have kids, we, we win the game, we have parties, we eat good food, we have great celebrations. There's great things, but the rest of the human experience is also on there. And that is our own shortcomings, the times that we've lied, the wicked thoughts that we've had, the cruelty that we've poured out on people, um, the, the dishonest things that we've said, uh, the betrayals that we've participated in. Everything is on the scale of uh, that, that particular scale. And so in order for something, for, in order for us to always be thankful or, or somehow complete these other impossible exams, there has to be something on the other side of that scale that not just levels it out, but slams it to the ground, that, that, that crushes that weight that is on us. And I call that the moment before the, t- the scale tips. There's a, there's a moment right before that scale tips where that, s- that scale is pinned to the ground with our own wickedness. I call that embracing wretchedness. Um, I know it makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Um, <clears throat> but to me, this is a critical part of my personal journey of faith, and I think it's a critical part of, of all of our faith. Um, actually, uh, C.S. Lewis, his, uh, his gravestone Uh, on Poet's Corner, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but but because by it I see everything. And I certainly agree with him on Christianity, but also that that applies to this statement or this idea for me that I see everything through this. Um, And it all starts with our favorite subject, me. No, you, like you personally. It all starts there. We love to talk about, um, you know, us. We love to think about us. We love to dwell upon us. And so Socrates said, know thyself. And, and I, I agree that, he, that it does start and begin with knowing my, thyself. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. Because to know thyself, if you're honest, it's also Honesty is a critical part of this because there's this trend that is, uh, you know, about, they call it deconstructing faith. You know, some people have deconstructed their faith. And I'm actually fine with deconstructing your faith as long as you're honest. 
And so that's a critical step in this is to know thyself, you must be honest. Because if we're honest, when we know thyself, we're like, oh, that's not that good. Uh, That's pretty bad. Uh, That is pretty terrible. The more you know thyself, the more you'll agree with Malcolm Muggeridge. He says, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. So what he's saying is that it is blatantly and brutally honest that we are depraved, that the depravity of man cannot be argued, it cannot be overcome, there is no way you can get around it if we search ourselves. We'll know that we're depraved, we'll know that we're wretched. And yet, we spend so much time and energy and academia and philosophy to think, oh, well, we're not that bad. (laughs) You know, well, yeah, you are that bad. And so that's a huge problem. And so knowing thyself, you can see it in Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous deeds are like dirty rags. So when we do manage to do do something that that appears to be somewhat righteous in our own lives, we did something good, we did something nice, we did something sweet or kind in our opinion, compared to that, that level of perfection that we talked about and being holy and being perfect and rejoice always and being thankful... It's like a dirty rag when it is compared to the goodness of God. And that is, that is not fun to think about. And then also in the book of Romans, and going deeper, if you're interested, we're studying the book of Romans. We've been in it all year, uh, and, and it's taken some time, and it's a phenomenal book. But it's a, it's a tough book. Uh, it's, not, it's not an easy read. But in Romans 3.12, it says, They have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who is good, not even one. And, you know, that's brutal. That's a very, very challenging word, and so it is hard for us to grasp. So as you read through Romans, when you come to chapter 7, Paul really pours his heart out. He goes through chapter 7, and he's talking about this, this, this fight within himself, Um, this struggle within him. And he says, finally he gets to Romans 7, he says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he's talking here and he's thinking, remember he's Jewish, not only that, he's a a Pharisee, so he's a really good Jewish guy. And he says, "Uh, there's this war within me and I'm trying to do good, I'm trying to fill the law, I'm trying to uphold what the Bible, what the Jewish law says. I'm trying to do that, but yet at the same time, there's another war within me against me, and that is the law of sin. And the law of sin is winning every single time in Paul's life, and that's the greatest apostle of all times. So I can't imagine we're doing a whole lot better. And then he says, he comes to the end of, end of himself, and he says, wretched man that I am, who will save me? From this body of death. Um, He comes to the end of himself. He's like, wretched man that I am. He embraces uh, his wretchedness, I like to call it, and he knows there's nothing, nothing he can do. He knows that if this war continues, then he loses, and he will continue to lose. And then he says, who will save me from this body of death? This is referencing something that was pretty brutal in Roman times. So we we pretty much know that the Romans were really good at brutality and cruelty. 
and, uh, and dehumanizing people. Certainly we know that Jesus was crucified on the cross, one of the more horrendous and, and tormentous ways that you could kill a person. But there's something else that they did. If you were convicted of murder, they would tie the corpse, the murdered person, to the convicted criminal. So they would tie this dead and rotting corpse to the criminal, and he would have to drag this thing around. And he would, it would, he would be feeling the weight of it. And he would be smelling the smells and the putrescence and the disgustingness of it. And sure, it's getting lighter. You're like, oh, there's one positive note. It's getting lighter. But that's only because it's decomposing and maggots are eating it. And it is weighing him down in a way that, that is quite vivid uh, to think about. But that's what he's likening this, this battle to, this wretchedness of his own. It's this body of death that's weighing him down. He can't carry it. He can't relieve it. And he says, who will deliver me? from this body of death. I believe very, it's very important to understand this. So I believe that understanding the severity of our own failure and the weight of our sin that destroys us is absolutely critical uh, to knowing the beauty and the wonder and a bit more of the mystery of this faith. So much so that when my kids were young, they would color a picture for me and bring it to me and like, Daddy, I colored this for you. They'd be like, that's a filthy rag. Or no one does anything good, not even one. Like, I didn't do that. I'm not the psycho. Um, but, but I did, I did when they were old enough and when the times were right, I did talk about the weight of sin and sharing this idea of wretchedness, certainly before I had it all figured out like I do today. Um, but I would share this, this with them and there was a time that I thought that I had perhaps crushed my oldest son with this information. That, uh, that I thought it was, because it's only information if you don't know, if you don't know what's next. So I thought there was a time that I had perhaps crushed him and that his young, his youth and his, his, the young faith that he had couldn't handle it. But then something wonderful happened. And um, so I thought rather than me telling the story, I would let him tell it. So if you would help welcome my son, Caleb. Good morning. Uh, it's an honor to be here, to be able to speak to all of you. Uh, thank you for asking me to do this. My job today is kind of to speak to those of you who don't really hear things the way he does, who don't. Uh, think the way he does, who, who he does, who may have come in and seen that slide that said embracing wretchedness uh, right after the slide that said thankfulness <laughs> and just be confused, like what are we talking about? Um, I'm here to speak to those of you who maybe at this point still don't understand how this is supposed to make us more thankful um, because I didn't get it for about 20 years. Um, <laughs> me and my dad, if you've heard us teach or just talk to us about our faith, we always talk about how we want there to be one thing for everyone that they can hold on to. One thing, one truth, one word from God, an encounter with God that they can hold on to so that when things are hard, so that when you're at your lowest, when you have doubts, when you feel furthest from God, you have something to turn back to, something that no one can take away from you. And as you grow in your faith, hopefully there's more and more of those, but there should always be at least something that you can't have anyone take away from you that nothing can take from you. And 
for me, that was this, this wretchedness thing that I didn't even fully get. But it was always something that I knew about. I knew all this information. I knew that my sin was heavy. I knew that it was important. I knew that it caused Jesus to go to the cross, that I couldn't stop it on my own. And I was thankful for that. But I still didn't get it all the way. For me, it was still this weight. The sin was this weight on me. I knew Jesus came, and he made me innocent. He freed me from my sin and from that punishment I should have received, but I was still carrying around that body of death just for no reason. I wasn't guilty anymore. I didn't have to do that, but I felt that weight, and I felt fear and shame and some anxiety about that thing that was very important to me that I knew was true. It took a long time. Um, Again, we talked about it a lot, and it was very important to me, and it did get me through a lot of hard times, but that weight never went away until God showed me something. And this was during one of our church-wide fasts. Um, During this time, I was only listening to worship music. And the song Felix Culpa, which I do, I'd always really loved. I love the song. It's very entertaining. It's fun, and it truly gets to the heart of something. But on this fast, I looked up what Felix Culpa meant, and it is a Latin term meaning happy fall, or as they say in the song, fortunate fall. And looking into this more and praying about it and just kind of sitting and thinking about what it meant, I realized the song was praising God for our sins, which sounds crazy. And whenever I have to talk about it in front of people, I'm like, is this okay to say? Like, we're praising God for our sins, not because those sins are okay, not because they're magically just okay to do because we're Christians, but because we need to take the focus off ourselves and put it on God and what he did. And what he did was change this. He changed us. He changed that sin. He turns it into testimony. It doesn't have to stick with us because now, because of the cross, when we fall, when we sin, we're not falling on our own. We don't have to pick ourselves up. We don't have to carry that weight on our own. We're falling into the arms of Jesus. He's there to catch us. He's a loving father who catches us. Again, before this fast, my sin was always so big to me. And I knew God forgave my sin, and I would go and I would ask for forgiveness, and, but that would be all I did with it. That shame wouldn't go away. And my point isn't today that we have to just not think about our sin. That's the first step, like he said. We're thinking about ourselves, what our sin does. The first step is looking at what this is and what it did. What it did was put Jesus on the cross. That is why he went. That is our fault. And when I think about that, it's sad. It's sad to think about Jesus on the cross Um, it's emotional, it's very heartbreaking, but then I also can't look or think about the cross and not be happy. It's a sad, terrible thing that happened, but Jesus did it for us. He went to the cross and died and gave us the most loving gift he ever could. Again, we can't forget what our sin does, but we also are free to rejoice in what God is doing in us. It makes us new people. He washes us and cleans us and makes us totally new. So whether you've known God your whole life and to kind of struggle with this, or you're new to this today, he's still a loving father who's there to catch you. Um, We'll never fall so far, or we'll never fall so far or so hard that he can't forgive us, and we're free to rejoice in that and to be thankful for that. I was able to be a Christian growing up and like make this faith my own because I knew how much I needed God. I knew what wretchedness was. I understood that. But then God showed me that I could rejoice in the forgiveness that he gave me and the forgiveness that he gives to us. I can rejoice and be thankful in that.
So it took 20 years. <laughs> well, I'm still, I'm still working on it myself. So, um, so Paul here says, "Wretched man that I am." He comes to the clear understanding. He knows, "Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death?" And here is where embracing wretchedness becomes the most beautiful thing in the world because as Paul, he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only one thing that can tilt the scale. There is only one thing that can put things not into balance but into incredible imbalance in just the way that we need it. So my fear is, is that most people here are probably Christians. I mean, it's a busy weekend, it's church, you probably accepted Christ on some level. Maybe you haven't, and if you haven't, I certainly would invite you that he wants to carry this burden for you. But my thing, much more likely, is that you've accepted Christ, and yet you're still carrying the burden. You're still carrying the weight. You're still trying to be good enough. You're trying, or you're trying to be good enough before something else happens. In Matthew 11, it says, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know whose yoke ain't easy and whose burden isn't light? Yours. In fact, that burden is heavy as hell, literally. It cannot be carried. It cannot be, the, the weight cannot be borne by you. But here's the good news. Jesus has given us his yoke and his burden, and he has agreed to carry ours. He has agreed to carry the one for us. So, so whether you call it embracing wretchedness or Felix Culpa or the fortunate fall or as Jesus called it in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, poor in spirit. I always thought that meant like poor people. But it's not. It's, it's the moment you realize as Paul did, as Caleb did, as hopefully you have that there's this moment where this weight is overwhelming and overbearing and it's crushing me every day. And it's the moment that, that the, the scale is slammed to the other side. So the moment this happens, your relationship with sin is altered forever. Like it's weird to thank God for sin. But how else would we know the beauty and the majesty of the grace of the cross if we didn't put our, our sin on the scale. How would we do that? And the thing is, is that sin, as Paul said in 7, will, will reach out to you. Sin is actually crouching. Or we, if it's not just sin, we have an enemy and then we all have our own, also have our own mind. And it'll say something like, well, you haven't gotten over your anxiety yet. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I know. And we're like, well, you've just sinned again, the same sin that you've been committing for years. And they'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I know. And he says, you're not strong enough to do what you're supposed to be doing. And you say, yeah, I know. But it's not my job to carry that. It's not my burden to carry because Jesus has agreed to carry it for me. I don't exactly know why. I just know that it's wonderful. And then the other thing is, 
you think, oh, well, now that, that sounds a little bit like a license to sin. <laughs> but instead of that, your desire to refrain from sin or to avoid sin will be greater than ever because you cherish so much the one that is carrying it. When you know that Jesus is bearing the weight of your sin, it's not fun to add another one. It's agonizing and painful to add another sin to that, to that load, to that weight. But only for a second. Because Jesus agreed. That is embracing wretchedness. That is what it means. And that is how the scale is tipped. So that's the moment, that split second, that split second where you're like, okay, I'm wretched as Paul was. I'm poor in spirit. Then Jesus will, if you let him, will slam the scale. He'll slam it and he'll change your life and those things won't be the burden anymore. You won't be carrying them. And like Paul, you'll come to the end of yourself and you'll say, wretched man or wretched woman that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Well, there is only one um, that is the counterweight. So I'm, inv- I'm asking you, because I know we do it. We're carrying the weight. We're like, oh, I'm not good enough to do that. Or maybe, oh, when I get, when I get this sin figured out, then I'll start. Then I'll, then I'll do something for real. Well, guess what? That ain't going to happen. Because just give it. <laughs> just let Jesus carry it. Um, so I just would encourage you today to not to recognize your own wretchedness, to embrace your own wretchedness even, but just for a second, just for a second. Uh, if you're like me and you feel that fear or you felt that fear, that shame um, or that burden to be right and you're afraid to fall like that, just know you don't have to be. If I were to fall off the stage, um, no one would catch me. There's not even anyone in the front row to try this time. Um, there would be no one to catch me. But if I fell towards my dad, I know he would catch me because he is a loving father. And if I fall towards Jesus, I know he'll be there to catch me because he has every time. And he's going to keep doing it. He is a loving father. And I just you just have to fall towards him. When you make the mistake, when you sin, just fall into him and then say sorry, forgiveness, and then try and move on from that. Just fall towards Jesus. Um, so I, this, I know this even still, you're like, what does this have to do with thankfulness? <laughs> because this is the only thing and the only way that the standard, that impossible standard that we talked about in the beginning can be met. It's the only way that you can be seen in the Father's eyes as perfect, as holy, as rejoicing always, and always being thankful. And above all the other things, when all the weight of life on that scale is weighing that side down, there's one thing that outweighs all of that. There's one thing that slams all of the burden, all of the heartache, all of the pain. Always be thankful when you come to the end of yourself, when you've embraced wretchedness, and desperate rely on Jesus. That's where we are. In Psalm 73, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you'd stand with me, we will close out in prayer. Father, I thank you for 
you just overwhelming the stuff of this life, Lord. Not only just the heartache and the pain, Lord, but our very wretchedness, Lord. I just ask that, Lord, if there are people in here that are carrying this weight and they're just feeling the burden of sin and shame and heartache, Lord, that that they would turn that over to you right now because you agreed to carry it. Lord, that you had your son agree to carry, Lord. So I just pray that now we would hand those things off to you, Father, and that we would live this life to the full, that we would go out and go boldly. And the next time the enemy confronts us, our own sin confronts us, we would say, yeah, I know. Jesus is carrying that for me, Lord. I pray that you would be with each person today, Father, that this would be the thing that makes us always thankful, that makes us rejoice always. Father, we thank you for your love and your amazing grace. In Jesus' name.